Welcome to this edition of So That Reminds Me, Reminder Publishing's bi-weekly take on hometown news. I'm Chris Mazza. And I'm Tyler Garnett, and we'll be your hosts for this week's podcast. As Peyton North and Dennis Hackett did last week, uh, your hosts this week, we're going to introduce ourselves, and first I'll throw it to Tyler. Sounds good, yeah. Uh, Well, like I kind of said at the beginning, my name is Tyler Garnett. Uh, I've been working with Reminder Publishing little over a year now as a staff writer. I've been covering Ludlow, Belchertown area for most of that time. Just recently this week, switched over, covered the Chicopee area, a little bit of South Hadley, and anywhere else that I'm needed. And I'm also excited to host this podcast. What about you, Chris? Well, I'm Chris Mazza. I'm one of the managing editors here at Reminder Publishing. I've been... uh, I I guess I'm kind of, at least uh, among the podcast crew here... I'm kind of the the old war horse. Uh, I've been in the industry for uh, about 20 years, and about half of that has been with Reminder Publishing in a couple different stints. Uh, right now, I'm the managing editor for our Hamden County East papers. Uh, so that's Springfield uh, and pretty much points east and a little bit north. So I'm excited to be a part of this. This is a new experience for me as a member of a podcast team. So uh, just hoping to have some fun and get some uh, information out to people. Sounds good. And that gets us to our intro to our topics. Uh, we got five topics we're going to talk about today that uh, me and Chris picked out that we found interesting, including Red Sox winter weekend, the Springfield superintendent planning to retire, state rep Dan Carey running for clerk of courts, Belchertown Carriage Grove project update, and a unique new event at the WIC. And we'll get to those after a quick break. Every month, Reminder Publishing's Go Local magazine features the best Western Mass and Northern Connecticut businesses, with articles on new storefronts, coffee shops, restaurants, and more. Go Local magazine is your resource to find the best businesses to frequent in the area. Go Local also features original recipes, how-to pages on festive crafts, a listing of places to go, and experiences to enjoy over the course of the month, and so much more. Pick up Go Local Magazine at hundreds of businesses, banks, gas stations, and restaurants all over Western Mass and Northern Connecticut. Or check out Go Local Magazine at TheReminder.com. Are you planning your second act? Working on your bucket list? Investing for early retirement? If you've hit that point in life where time will soon be yours, let Prime Magazine be your guide. We're all about staying healthy and fit, keeping up with tech, Traveling, local entertainment, managing finances, caring for kids and elders, and much more. Pick up the latest copy of Prime Magazine every month. Prime, your best life now. So to kick things off, we're going to talk about the Red Sox Winter Weekend, which took place at Springfield again this year. The two-day event took place on January 19th and 20th at MGM Springfield and the Mass Mutual Center. Now, Tyler, who's here with us, and fellow staff writer Ryan Fair were boots on the ground at the event for both days. And uh, an article appearing in this week's papers has a really nice story that they did, kind of encapsulating what draws people to the event and people's feelings on the upcoming season, and really just kind of giving people a sense of what it was like to be at Winter Weekend. So, Tyler, I guess from your perspective as one of the people who, who covered this story and, and wrote about it, what were some of your big takeaways from, from the weekend? 
Well, it was it was definitely an event I enjoyed covering and one I remember. I haven't been to too many fan fests in general, coming as a big baseball fan. Not a huge Red Sox fan, but I still enjoyed the event. It was freezing cold outside, snowing a little bit, but the place was still packed both days. And although most fans had, you know, are not too optimistic looking into the season, they still enjoyed the event a lot. They had similar some of the things they enjoyed, there was a lot to offer between autographs and meeting the players, fan sessions, different memorabilia that you can buy or, you know, um, get to touch part of the clubhouse. I think it was overall just, just a great event, and um, it, was, it was nice being a part of the fan base for the day. Now, one of the things that you guys were able to showcase was that there was a, a broad range in terms of fans, in terms of geographically where they were coming from. It mm-hmm. wasn't something that was just drawing from the local community, but more the, the fan base at large. Mm-hmm. So on top of everything else, this was kind of a, a nice economic boom for the city. Yeah, no, exactly. Talking to each fan at the event, some were from upstate New York, some from locally in Massachusetts, others from Connecticut. You know, they all had the same idea that this this whole weekend was like a family reunion almost. Everyone being there for a similar cause, similar liking for a team, uh, if you will. So, you know, I think it was definitely great for the downtown area and uh, definitely brought in a lot of families and friends to root for the Red Sox and look forward to the year. Now, it's funny you bring up the family reunion kind of uh, aspect of this because not everybody in a family reunion always gets along. <laughs> and there was certainly, while people were excited, there certainly you, some consternation that you guys uh, recorded, you know, in your, in your story about mm-hmm. how frustrated some fans were. Yeah, yeah, no. People definitely like all the memorabilia and autographs they could walk away with and some of the events. But when you got into the season past this event and you thought, you asked, you know, what to expect. Most of them were very pessimistic from a Red Sox fan base. They they want to spend a little more. You know, they, they, they need some more pitching. And they said no matter what, even finishing in last place last season, that they're still going to root for the Red Sox. But they have low hopes going into this season. All right. Well, hey, like I said, you guys did a great job with this story. I encourage everybody to take the time to read. And we'll move on to our next topic. Well, moving on to our next topic, Springfield Superintendent of Schools Dan Warwick recently announced he plans to retire at the end of this current school year. Uh, Warwick has been the head of schools in Springfield for 13 years, making him the longest-serving urban superintendent in the state. Mayor Dominic Sarno noted how rare that longevity is for superintendents in that area, or in this area. And Tyler, you and I both know that cities. And towns, large and small, have experienced a lot of turnover in leadership positions, whether it's with school superintendents or other administrators. That seems to be something that is a bit of a carousel. Yeah, it's definitely a theme that I've seen since covering the paper over the last, or this area rather, over the last year or so. And that's just covering two communities, mainly seeing just a carousel of moves always being made. And, you know, the biggest takeaway that I can't believe is that this is the longest serving urban superintendent in the state. It really just shows how people are always looking for different opportunities or looking for a fresh start. Well, it's also, it's got to be a really a high pressure job. When I was talking with uh, Dan Warwick uh, after the announcement, he said that one of the things that he'll enjoy is not having to wake up at 4 a.m. every morning. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and, you know, speaking of especially with some of the turnover in in our area in terms of school leadership, 
I mean, we've had the situation in Chicopee. We won't get into all the details of that, but Lynn Clark, uh, no longer in Chicopee, they ended up hiring Marcus Ware. And the person who was acting in the interim at that point, Alvin Morton, is now with the Lower Pioneer Valley Educational Collaborative. Ware just got a new superintendent. Hampshire Regional is going to be looking for a superintendent because the one that they hired said that she's not going to renew her contract when it's up in 2024. And she had been the interim in South Hadley. And now South Hadley has another interim. Uh, so there are just there are a lot of moving pieces. These are just a few examples. Palmer just got a new superintendent, and their superintendent was a administrator from Chicopee. So there are a lot of examples of this kind of movement. So for Springfield to have that kind of stability for as long as it did is really kind of amazing. Yeah, no, I, it definitely is. I mean, and just going through th- through the list of everyone you just named, I mean, all these came within the last two or three years shows, I mean, any any role where you're in charge is definitely taxing and demanding. And I can only imagine being at the, you know, the helm of the schools, uh, being in charge of, you know, everything going on in there, especially with, you know, some, some crazy things happening in the world now in 2024. It, it makes sense. Everyone looking for new opportunities or just looking for a start somewhere else. Now, uh, one other aspect of this from Springfield's perspective is Warwick has had a career that has spanned almost 50 years. And so losing him represents a significant loss in institutional knowledge for the school department. And that's something that Springfield's been experiencing a lot of lately. So police superintendent Cheryl Claprood is going to retire when her contract expires in April. They just announced that Veteran Services Director Tom Belton is also retiring. Uh, The city is seeking a new chief administrative and financial officer, after T.J. Plant recently left for the private sector. So between Claprood, who's been with the department since the 1980s, Belton has been with Veteran Services for 12 years, leading that department for 12 years, and Plant has been, Plant was in his role since 2013, and then was in other financial positions with the city before that. There's a lot of, I guess you'd call it brain drain, mm. a lot of experience lost in a very short amount of time. And I think that that's one thing that I guess when you're in a leadership role, as long as Sarno has, you're going to experience people leaving. You've been in office as long as he has. You're going to be seeing people moving on and retiring. So it's it's a new challenge for him, I think, uh, as he enters this new term. Yeah, no, I think that is definitely something that will be a challenge, an opportunity for him in this new term is to, to you know, to have... Your reliable people in different sectors that you can always count on, you know, similar faces, especially as residents in the town that they can go to for problems. You know, with a lot of these people retiring and stuff, it's going to be interesting to see where where Springfield goes from there and who they're going to get to replace a lot of those positions. Now, in terms of replacing them, Larry Akers is replacing Cheryl Claproot. So there's a lot of continuity there, Mm -hmm. someone who's been with the uh, department for a long time. And when I asked Sarno about the school superintendent position, he said that if all things are equal, he'd like to have somebody local in that job. But obviously that depends on what candidates come out for the job. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a search process. There's an ad hoc committee that's working on getting that process started now. And the school committee has the final say. Now, Sarno is the chair of that committee, but it's a committee decision. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Of course. All right. Well, we're going to take a break to bring you a couple of messages, and then we'll be right back. We get it. 
you're busy, but you want to be connected to your local community. If you're not reading The Reminder, Western Mass's free weekly newspaper, you're missing out on the heartbeat of your town. Stay in the loop with all the latest buzz, from local stories to community updates and exciting events. It's all in The Reminder. Just log on to TheReminder.com and dive into the hometown news you love. To subscribe to receive The Reminder at your home, call 413-788-1316. Don't miss a beat. Your town, your stories, your community for over 60 years. The Reminder, we are hometown news. Bring It Home magazine takes the best in the home renovation or home building business to your door. Featuring countless local businesses, Bring It Home helps Western Massachusetts and Connecticut homeowners, both new and seasoned, find the best of the best to suit their home's needs. The magazine is host to articles on local businesses explaining the latest trends from outdoor necessities to indoor design. For advertising information or to view Bring It Home online, go to TheReminder.com. And we're back for our third headline of the podcast, Dan Carey running for a clerk of courts. State Rep. Dan Carey, who represents East Hampton, South Hadley, Granby, and Hadley in the House of Representatives, recently announced that he plans to run for the Hampshire County Clerk of Courts, with an official announcement coming later this month. He is hoping to replace current Clerk of Courts Harry Jekinowski, who plans to retire. Carey, whose law background includes time as an assistant district attorney and district court administrator for the Northwestern District Attorney David Sullivan, has been part of the state legislature since 2018 and has not faced a challenge in either of his bids for re-election. He said by announcing his candidacy early, he hoped to provide those interested in running for a seat in the House as much time as possible to organize their campaigns. Yeah, and I'd mentioned that there's already been some movement in terms of people interested in starting a campaign for that state rep seat. Omar Gomez, who's the city council president in East Hampton, has announced that he will run for that second Hampshire district seat that Kerry will be uh, vacating. So that's the first shoe to drop in this where will be it'll be interesting to see who else comes out for the race. I know that Omar Gomez is someone who's been uh, very popular in East Hampton. He's been very effective as the as the president as they've gone through some uh, some some very challenging times for the city and there's and some times of growth for the city. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if there are any other challengers. It'll also be interesting to see who else comes out for the city clerk's race. Yeah, no, of course. I think, um, yeah, by announcing this candidacy early, you like you said, the first shoe fell and you kind of see where the race goes from there. I always find it interesting when you hear the rumors and rumblings of after someone retiring, who's going to run for that seat? When people are running for one seat, who's going to then fill you know the seat of the person leaving? I think it's always very interesting and something to keep an eye on with all the different moving pieces. Yeah, and it, it's it's going to be interesting for Kerry if he gets this job. For Dan Kerry, this is going to be a very different kind of public service. When he's in the legislature, it's a much more public-facing job mm-hmm. than it is as the clerk of courts, which has a much more administrative role. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see him settle into a a different kind of public service role than than he's been previously accustomed. Yeah, sounds good. And something that we'll definitely uh, be following and covering. And of course, we will have a, uh, a story coming up in our next edition uh, regarding Omar Gomez's bid for 
election for that job with more information on his uh, on his platform. So be looking for that in the next edition of The Reminder. For our fourth headline is one that I have been covering since I pretty much started is the uh, Belchertown Carriage Grove project update. And this is a project that has been discussed and rumored for years, but now there's a pretty set plan in place right now as of this month. Phase 1A would focus on creating a 108-unit multifamily apartment complex, and Phase 1B would focus on the reuse of two existing administration buildings in the museum, maybe adding either a cafe, a food market. That's still up for discussion, but nonetheless, they will be reusing two of the existing administration buildings. So like I mentioned, this is a long saga that has been kind of discussed since I started here, and they finally had two presentations over the last few months There's been some things discussed in the planning board, things that the planning board asked the applicant to get fixed, you know, a formal waiver of the parking requirement, copy of the easement plan, number of dumpsters, snow storage, other things like that that's kind of hard to put into the plan. But obviously, the residents also, now that this official plan has come to fruition, they have not been taking it too lightly. They want some more communication on it. Yeah, I, I think I can understand from residents' standpoints. This is a this is a large piece of land. It's a it's a big project. You know, it's obviously going to be a phased project. So people have a lot of questions, a lot of concerns. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of these seemingly minute things, but even th- things like you know the placement of dumpsters and stuff. That's important to mm-hmm. you know to to residents and everything. But yeah, so I think that this is a, a very interesting project for an interesting community in. Belchertown that has over the past you know decade or so really undergone a major expansion in terms of its size and its its population and people having questions about how this is going to impact the population in the schools and how it's going to affect services those are all really valid questions the fact that the process has taken this long and that they are really doing their due diligence as far as the 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 planning board and everything should be something that instills confidence for residents because this isn't something that is being taken lightly. It is something that, as you've seen through multiple meetings and that I've read about through reading your stories, you know, that they're taking this seriously. They're going through this meticulously and it's been an elongated process because mm-hmm. of that. But I think that's a, that's a really important aspect of this. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, the residents are the ones, at the end of the day, it comes down to members of different boards approving site plans, approving the project and stuff like that. But obviously residents were upset thinking this should be a bigger discussion at a town meeting or a town election. They even had a couple petitions getting passed around, not even for the project not to go through, but they're just looking for better communication from Belchertown, you know, because they think this is going to affect the size of enrollment in Belchertown schools, police and fire departments, water supply, road system, taxes home values, you know, all those different aspects. And so far, the applicant has been answering all the questions and showing how they're going to be addressing those those problems or those concerns from the residents. I think one of the, the my favorite parts from one of the past meetings is, um, you know, as this project has been discussed over the last couple of years, this is only their second presentation that they've come to the planning board, at least. And when they asked if they can have like a conditional application in place, one of the planning board members responded, and he says, this is addressed to the entire project. You have been working on this for a number of years, and it's important for Belgian Town to have a well-designed, well-constructed, instituted, 
residential portion in order to support the entire development of the state school. This is only the second time that you have sat down with us to do a presentation. You canceled more meetings with us than you've attended. So to say right now, for us, you need this in a hurry, I certainly just can't approve it yet. And that was from the meeting on January 23rd. And they only have about four or five conditions left that they still want to answer the planning board. And, I mean, they were, they were one vote away from this plan getting uh, approved with their next presentation scheduled to take place on February 13th. So this project looks like it's about to be uh, approved. Well, that's true. You, you, you brought up an important point that, that they have only presented this a couple of times. There's been a lot of delays in the mm-hmm. process, people coming out to meetings and finding out, oh, well, you know, they've asked for an extension, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I think that that speaks to the, the town the, having expectations that questions are going to be answered and it being – and as, as you, you know, read from that quote – there's a, there's a concerted effort by the planning board to make sure that those questions are answered and they're not going to rubber stamp this, you know, by any means. So, so I think that's, you know, I think that there's legitimate questions. I think that there's uh, legitimate, you know, areas of concern for, for residents. The one thing that I kind of chuckled a little bit about was, uh, you know, the complaints that, you know, uh, there were some residents who said, well, we didn't know that this was happening, <laughs> you know, it was, and, and, as as anybody who reads the reminder knows, you've been uh, you've been on top of this story right mm-hmm. along. So the information that that the reminder has been able to provide, I think, has been a benefit to uh, to those in the community, and I think that it's something that you know behoove uh, residents to 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 take a look at. You know, before they head to this next meeting, you know, head to the reminder dot com, mm-hmm. check out check out Tyler's uh, coverage on this because it's been extensive. So make sure that when you go to that presentation that's coming up on the thirteenth, you're fully educated and you and you've got all the information. And you know, Tyler's done a great job uh, covering this over the past year or so. Thank you. Yeah, and and just going back to another uh, point you just mentioned quickly is you want to make a good first impression. One of the Belchertown Economic Development Industrial Corporation members or uh, EDIC, mentioned that this is the uh, first phase of four potential phases that's going to take place on the former state school property. So obviously, you know, you can only make a good first impression once. So you want to definitely have this first project go well so that, you know, the town trusts you to continue adding to this development. It'll be interesting to see how this project shakes out because there are other similar kind of pieces of land in our coverage area and throughout the state, uh, you know, for de- decommissioned buildings, there's there's one in Munson that's that's coming to mind that they're beginning uh, conversations on just now. Uh, so I think that how this project moves forward will kind of inform how these other kind of developments can go. So that that will be very interesting. There's only so much land, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know, so when you have these these decommissioned buildings in these these large areas. People are sometimes hesitant to to see large developments go into them, but mm-hmm. at the same time, with growing populations, et cetera, you need to have facilities that match. So how this all plays out will be very interesting. All right, so moving on to our next topic, there's something uh, pretty interesting uh, that will be heading to Southwick. There will be some new events at the WIC, the motocross course in Southwick this spring and summer, including uh, first ever at the track, electric unicycle racing. 
Rick Johnson, who manages the track off of Powder Mill Road in Southwick, told the select board at a recent meeting that the Unit Cycles won't actually run on the main motocross course, but in a separate, what he called more docile track in the pit area and the wooden area, wooded area behind the motocross circuit. The event, which is dubbed the Wheel Life Rally, is expected to draw unicycle riders from across the country. I, I watched some YouTube videos on this, and it's actually it's, it's pretty nuts. <laughs> these, uh, these, some of these things can, can get up to pretty substantial speeds. So mm-hmm. it's not unicycle in like you're thinking like at the circus with someone on, you know, on a one-wheeled one you know, thing that you're yeah. pedaling. It's hard to really describe. It almost mm-hmm. looks like something out of science fiction. I mean, yeah, I believe I did the same thing as you. When, when I heard about this story, I had to look up a video right away. And it is it is definitely something that I, you have to see to believe, uh, as corny as that sounds. And it's definitely an event that um, I'm going to keep an eye on and probably attend, especially hearing that it's not going to take place on the, on the normal track. It's going to take place in a pit area and wooded area behind the circuit. That's just going to make it even more interesting, I feel like. Um, but, yeah, these things are cool. I would love to get my hands on one to just ride it around. And I, I, I look forward to seeing this event in person hopefully now i've seen some of these kind of motor motorized unicycle things you know like you know in the city or mm-hmm. every now and then and i've always thought they looked kind of ridiculous mm-hmm. but then seeing them on a racetrack yeah. and just seeing you know speeds of i don't know if this is what's going to happen you know at the wick but one of the videos i watched they were going as as fast as 50 miles an hour yeah i mean of course they're you know they've got safety gear helmets etc so it's it's a very different thing than you know you you think about things that were popular the hoverboards and stuff like that that you'd see rolling around Mm -hmm. a few years ago but this is this seems like it's going to be a very different and it's it seems like it's a it's a very competitive thing Mm mm-hmm and I think once you get anything into a race or competitive form, it's going to make it that much more uh, interesting for people to watch. So the, also at the uh, at the WIC this year, uh, two-strike dirt bikes, which are the kind of dirt bikes that they would use for competitions before the new uh, four-stroke motors were popularized in the 90s, they're going to be uh, coming back, as, as is uh, quad racing for, uh, for 2024. So most of the more conventional schedule at the WIC will be similar to last year's, except for this year's Southwick National, which is one of 11 rounds of the AMA Pro Motocross Championship, will be a bit earlier this year. That'll be on Saturday, June 29th. According to Rick Johnson, last year's event was one of only two motocross events televised globally on NBC and their streaming platform, Peacock. Southwick National had the most viewers of all the televised motocross events. And due to that success, four events are going to be televised this year. So it's interesting that, you know, you wouldn't think of Southwick necessarily as something that's drawing a a national and international audience, but Mm -hmm. it is, and to the point where it's been so successful that it's springboarding more televised events. Yeah, no, I think this will be definitely great for their community and to see it on a, a couple streaming services and national platforms will definitely even hit closer to home for residents who live there. Now, of course, if you're in the area, I encourage you to actually go out to the event because there's a there's an experience and there's an atmosphere that goes with this that, that you can't necessarily get on TV or streaming it online. Those were our five stories of the week. Of course, our reporters cover many more stories this week So for more of our local reporting, listeners can go to TheReminder.com. 
Thanks very much for listening, and we'll be back with another episode on February 16th. Thanks for listening to So That Reminds Me, produced by Western Massachusetts News Source Reminder Publishing. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, find the latest news at thereminder.com, and follow Reminder Publishing on Instagram at Reminder Publishing, on X at the Reminder MA, and on Facebook. Reminder Publishing, we are hometown news.